name is Caroline Garnham from boutique law firm Garnham Family Office Services. We protect and preserve the wealth of the world's rich and famous. But having a good lawyer is only part of the solution. My podcast, How to Keep Your Money, draws on my 30 years experience and my extensive network of professional advisors to better inform you. Subscribe to our podcast and learn from the professionals on how to keep your money. This is episode seven of How to Keep Your Money. I'm joined in the studio by Martin Terrett. He is well-placed to talk about our topic for today, the wealth creator post-Brexit. Martin was former European Commission's ambassador to Ireland from 2005 to 2010. Martin, thank you for coming to talk to us at Garnham Family Office Services today. You've worked in the European Commission for many years. During that time, you've had extensive experience in negotiating agreements. The UK, however, has not negotiated a free trade agreement for 40 years and is not geared up to do so. However, it is now committed to negotiating a free trade deal with the European Commission before the end of 2020. How do you think it will get on? Well, I suppose one of the most important aspects of negotiation is uh, not to conduct it in public. And so far, for the last three and a half years, so much has been discussed in public. Um, And I think for the next uh, just under a year, the need to keep confidentiality in the negotiation process is, is paramount. Um, it's a very short period of time, um, and the UK has said it's committed not to seek an extension of that time, which is fair enough. Uh, I believe a trade deal can be done. Uh, it may not be the most ambitious trade deal of all time, because many trade deal, deals take six, seven, eight years to negotiate, and uh, many, many months, if not years, to ratify subsequently by national parliaments and even regional parliaments for that matter. Um, But I believe it can be done, but the best way to do it is to do it in silence behind closed doors um, to uh, achieve the best outcomes. And I genuinely believe that the uh, British side has uh, very good negotiators on the trade side. They may not have vast experience in recent years, but they're technically extremely good. Uh, And with the member states and the European Commission and the other institutions of the Union committed to uh, having a deal done by the end of the year, one can see a deal being done. Thank you. That's very optimistic. Um, Since the UK decided to leave the European Union, I understand it has signed 20 continuity deals covering some 50 countries with which the EU has free trade agreements. These countries include Norway, Jordan, Israel, Switzerland, and Central America. But this amounts to only 8% of the UK's 1.3 trillion trade. If the EU still has a long way to go to sign free trade agreements with other countries across the globe, would not the UK be better going it alone? 
Well, over the past number of years, the European Union has negotiated very significant uh, free trade agreements with uh, countries such as uh, Japan, um, South Korea, uh, among, among Singapore, for example, uh, among others. Um, and it was committed to negotiating a free trade agreement with the US, um, but unfortunately, political circumstances changed in the US, and that's, that, that matter is on hold. Um, and it's also uh, negotiated uh, very recently um, a rather controversial uh, free trade agreement with the um, Southern American countries, Mercosur, as, it's, as the group is called. Um, they're very complex matters to negotiate. Um, and the, U the UK, as uh, it will be a third country, uh, is, will be quite free to negotiate uh, on its own. Um, I wish them well, uh, it will be very, very difficult. Um, when you have the power of 27 governments behind the negotiating position, uh, compare that to the power of one government, um, I think there's a slight imbalance, but uh, I, nonetheless, nonetheless, um, there is uh, a will for many countries to negotiate with the UK on its own. And um, I believe that deals will be struck over time. Um, it won't be easy to do. Um, but I also believe that uh, there will be a very close trading relationship between the UK and the rest of the European Union. And I think that's a very important market on, on its own doorstep. Um, uh, very often people say, you know, why don't you have major trade deals with Commonwealth, Commonwealth countries or former Commonwealth countries. Uh, but many of these countries um, have uh, tiny, tiny, tiny economies. So therefore, um, while there might be a very significant number of Commonwealth countries, uh, they don't add up to significant um, significant partners in terms of uh, in terms of trade. So yes, the UK can and should um, strike out on its own. You mentioned uh, the US, um, and I want to come back to that. The UK's most important trading partner is with the US. And you mentioned, of course, that the EU does not have a free trade agreement. However, the UK has already signed a mutual recognition agreement with the US. How easy do you think would it be to agree a free trade agreement with the US? It's, it's hard to say. Uh, at the moment, the, the US is in an election mode uh, and will be for, uh, no matter what the outcome uh, will be uh, in November this year, it will it, take 18 months between now and, and the middle of the following year for things to settle down in the US. Um, it would appear that the US would want to negotiate a free trade agreement with the UK. Um, but it remains to be seen on what terms uh, such a deal could be negotiated. Uh, from my own experience in uh, negotiating with the US, um, it is not easy. Uh, there are very, very significant um, protectionist interests in the United States, uh, agriculture being only one. Um, and it's very difficult to break down those barriers. Um, very often the debate surrounds um, uh, the, the, the quality of chicken produced in the US, so-called hyperchlorinated chicken. Um, 
but really, does the, does does Britain or any other country in the European Union want to import chicken from from the US, whether it's hyperchlorinated or not? It really doesn't make much sense in in broad economic terms. But th there are significant difficulties and significant uh, barriers to uh, achieving an agreement with the US. Not least, uh, of course, is the political one. Um, and if the president of the US, whoever that may be in future, into the future, if he or she throws um, their weight behind it, well, then it can be done. Thank you. Um, you mentioned chickens and you mentioned agriculture. Um, while at the European Commission, you were responsible for food safety and you established the legislation which became the global reference law. In particular, you set standards for genetically modified organisms and pesticides. The US, like many other countries, has very different food standards to the UK. How easy would it be to come to a compromise? Well, there are surprisingly large similarities between the US system and the EU system, uh, despite um, uh, particular uh, aspects uh, where there are differences, clearly genetically mod modified organis organisms being one, um, the, the way the cattle are reared, uh, the way chickens are, are produced and so on. But there are significant similarities. I mean, when I was with the European Commission, uh, we established the European Food Safety Authority. The US has a similar authority. We have similar legislation here in the, in the, in the uh, European Union dealing with medicines. Uh, the FDA uh, is the reference, uh, global reference standard uh, in the US. So there are differences, but they're often over-exaggerated uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a more or less trite, uh, trite way. Um, there, there can be uh, agreements on, on these matters. Um, but as I said earlier, it very much depends on the political environment. And if the political environment is right on both sides of the Atlantic, whether it's the US dealing with the UK alone or the US dealing with the European Union uh, as a trading bloc, um, if the if the political trade winds are, are right, then trade deals can be done. Thank you. While at the European Commission, you were responsible for crisis management in food safety, in particular the BSE crisis, avian influenza and foot and mouth. Once out of the EU, how will the UK manage these global threats? Well, I think and believe that there will have to be on these types of matters very, very close coordination between the authorities in the UK and the veterinary and phytosanitary authorities uh, in Brussels. Uh, otherwise, um, these types of threats uh, can be highly contagious uh, and cause very, very significant um, uh, economic damage uh, and, and social damage uh, as well. And it's not just uh, in the area of food safety and, and um, veterinary threats. You're also dealing with human health. For, for example, very often it's, it's forgotten the European Union's response to SARS a number of years ago, where there was very, very close coordination and the whole health threat was um, diminished very, very quickly through very, very strong coordinated measures. One looks 
uh, other fields uh, in the in the area of security, for example, in the area of climate change, in the area of anti-terrorism. There will, in all of these types of areas, uh, not, not to mention migration or immigration, very, very close coordination between uh, the authorities uh, in the European Union and the British government. It is of concern to wealth creators in the UK that each export and import will cost between 4 to 8% in administration charges, such as identifying where their goods came from. Uh, and this is before tariffs are added. Unless the government can offset this in some way, lower corporation tax or free trade zones, will the UK lose business to, say, Dublin? Well, the uncertainty arising from um, the referendum result on Brexit has given rise to um, not insignificant movement of capital out of the United Kingdom to centres like Dublin, uh, Frankfurt, Paris, uh, Amsterdam. Um, one uh, EU agency uh, is decamping to Amsterdam from London, the, the medicines agency. This trend will continue to some extent, um, even with the certainty of a, of a, a clean-cut Brexit and hopefully a, a, an, agreed, an agreed Brexit. Um, it's hard to put, a, put an exact number on it because different sectors will have different needs. Uh, but I can see um, movement of certain uh, industries, uh, and in, including service industries, from the UK to uh, other countries to, to avail of the, the free movement of goods, the freedom of capital, the freedom of, um, the freedom of um, establishment. Um, and I think that will have an impact. Over time, obviously, these things will settle. But when tectonic plates move, they have consequences. Um, and there already have been consequences and there will continue to be consequences. Um, certainly free trade free, free trade ports and zones and, and the like um, can help, um, but they would have to be done quickly and there would also have to be uh, a certainty that they would actually generate wealth. And that's at the moment far from clear. Thank you. It is often said that the UK should become a Singapore, Singapore on Thames. Uh, Boris should lower taxes and deregulate the financial industry. But Singapore can't match the UK in terms of trade. And Boris is, of course, beholden to bring business to Middle England if he wants to be re-elected. Given the cost of doing international business in the UK, how easy will this be? Well, I think... I think this, the, the comparison, as you suggest, between Singapore and the UK is a, is a false comparison. But there are many, many lessons that can be learned from, from Singapore. Uh, and one of them is that there needs to be, or should be, or ought to be, uh, a very clear um, macroeconomic strategy in the UK. Um, Singapore plans in 20-year cycles. Uh, it can do that because it has the luxury of being relatively small uh, and a, 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 with a very stable and singular type of governance system. 
Whereas the UK, like many other uh, Western democracies, has uh, the electoral cycle to consider. But if with a stable government for the next four, uh, at least four years in the UK, there can be a concentration on uh, a serious economic uh, strategy, uh, which can be put into effect. Um, I know that the government is considering radical reform of its own structures. I think that would be a start. Um, and if that ethos can flow out uh, into the private sector and into the wealth creating uh, aspects of the economy, then um, there can be a very good prospect of um, growth in, in the UK economy. But the UK economy on its own, while big in, it, in its own right, is a drop in the ocean in terms of the global economy. Uh, and that is where I believe that there's a keen, a keen need for the UK to um, participate in uh, the global economy uh, very strongly and the global um, institutions, uh, the uh, World Trade Organization, among others, uh, to ensure that it has uh, a good future in uh, a globalized world. Thank you very much, Martin. That was incredibly uh, insightful and more op optimistic than I had uh, thought you might be uh, discussing with us. Thank you for joining me today for episode seven of How to Keep Your Money. No one has a crystal ball and the Brits have an uncanny way of dealing with a crisis. Many of us may not like the idea of leaving the European Union, but it now looks inevitable and rough or smooth, we will have to get on with it. Over the next few weeks, How to Keep Your Money will look at how leaving the UK will affect our freedoms, which we've touched upon, taxation and immigration. I hope you join us next week for How to Keep Your Money. Thank you. <laughs>